My name is Eric Deal. I am a lead pastor at Covenant Life Fellowship in Hubbard, Ohio. Can anybody here, except for those that are from my church, tell me where Hubbard, Ohio is at? Youngstown area? All right, here you go. I was a youth pastor for 23 years, so I try to keep your attention quickly. All right. Now, I need to know, are there any men in this room right now that can show me this coin? One? Let me see it. It's in the watch pocket. All right, here you go. It's a crucible coin. I'll explain it in a moment. Anybody in here that does not know me, this is good. Can anybody tell me what Bible college by the raise your hand that I graduated from? Don't look at my profile now. Evangel's where we went for dates. CBC? There you go. All right. Yeah. Of course, I met my wife at CBC. This coin here is called the Crucible. It was part of the Ohio Royal Rangers Crucible training this year we had um, at our campsite, at our campground, um, winter retreat, uh, winter camp, if you want to call it that. Uh, it was a rite of passage ceremony, the Father's blessing. And a lot of it's what I'm going to be sharing with you uh, in the next 45 minutes or so. <clears throat> I'm going to try to take two and a half hours of training and compress it into 45 minutes. I'm sure every presenter that's here this weekend has the same mindset or mentality or should that their class is the most important. But I'm going to tell you right now in the next 45 minutes that this is the most important class you're going to hear today. If you truly are concerned in investing in your church and in its leadership, not the future, but the now. One of the greatest things that I've faced over 20 plus years in youth ministry is when people would say, our youth are the future. And I'd always say, no, they're now. If you wait for the future to put an investment in them, you've lost an entire generation. And in our raising men of honor and women of virtue, we are uh, already two generations behind what the world has already done. We can easily look at the media, we can look at news sources and outlets and we can see how far behind the church has gotten with our generation. We have two generations now uh, that are running the show that have not received the Father's blessing. They have no clue, no idea the value that was placed on them. Now, I'm sure that maybe one out of a billion have had it. But we don't even know what a Father's blessing is. Now, this is not in any way, shape, form to call anybody out. But I want honesty in here. And I want to ask you this question. How many in here said, Eric, I have received physically my father's blessing in my life? See, even in our church, and that's the priority and the purpose of this session today, is to understand we are truly missing the importance on what that is. So what I want to do in the next several minutes ahead, and I want to allow for time for you to ask questions. But we, <clears throat> we've been lulled to sleep. Programs, uh, worship, creativity, 
outreaches and evangelism, discipleship. These are all important parts of the church. But when we've become so consumed on what we're doing with those and we forget to even impart the very blessing that God has given us to others, we're almost fighting an uphill battle. We'll never win. Because we dress them up, we clean them up, we send them out, and they're all empty inside. Because they don't realize the value that's been placed on them. So I want to share with you real quick some uh, key points here. A vision is a color portrait of an achievable future painted on your heart and on your mind. So the vision of men of honor and women of virtue. Uh, You may have heard of promise keepers, some of you guys that were in here. One of the gentlemen that was a key um, player in that in the early 1900s, 1900s, 1990s, was, uh, he'd kill me if you heard me say that, Uh, is Chuck Stecker is his name. The book that you have that I gave out to some of you, you can write this title down. It's called Raising um, Men of Honor and Women of Virtue. You can order this book online. I would highly recommend you go to Amazon and get it. This is a powerful book. I think it's about $10 online. It is going to go into great detail the little bit of um, icing that I'm giving you this morning right now. Um, In the uh, late 1980s, 1990s, uh, Chuck had his own sons. Uh, He realized there was more that was missing that he had to give his boys. And being a part of um, the uh, Promise Keepers with Coach, and all those guys, and being he, he started getting into the, some of this stuff uh, with Gary Smalley and some of these guys, and writing this vision and dream to impart vision, to impart a blessing uh, biblically and scripturally into the lives of our young men and our young women. Now, uh, Chuck just isn't a—he's uh, not a snowflake. He's a, uh, a lieutenant uh, colonel uh, in the Army Special Forces. Uh, he served in Vietnam. Uh, Chuck travels the world today and speaks and teaches. Um, iron sharpens iron. These are some of the areas that he travels and preaches. He's out of Littleton. A Chosen Generation uh, is the name of it. If you ever see that or hear of that, you can go online, Facebook. You can watch his uh, Tuesday night seminars that he teaches online. His purpose is to see a dynamic worldwide movement of reproducing intergenerational churches. Now, that's an important word there. Because we say our church is multi-generational and we act like that's good because we have different age groups. But that's exactly what it's become. Where else but church do we go to Wednesday night and say it's family night, but we split them up seven ways come Sunday. All right. Based on their age, based on their sex, we we separate them, right? Now, to be multi-generational you're saying that we have all ages. And I think every church represented here today, we, can, we, we, we better be able to say our church is multi-generational. But are we intergenerational? And this is the key and why it's so important. When we have an intergenerational church, that simply means that all ages are valuable. Yeah. From day one to their last day on earth. It doesn't matter how old you are. One of the things that's frustrating when we say to our seniors that have been there and done that, They have more education than most of our universities can give us because they have that one word that life gives them. Experience, right? They have that word. But when we say, you know, pass the baton, we have this analogy, pass the baton. And and this is what was taught even myself through um, Chuck Stecker was this. When we ask people to pass the baton, the runner that passes the baton in the race, does he keep running? 
What's he do? She stops, he stops, they turn it over. They quit. We can't quit in church. See, uh, the day we stand before God and hear the words, well done, thou good and faithful servant, then you're done. The race is over. You've received your crown. So in churches, we have to learn to be intergenerational. Our older folks are just as valuable as our younger folks. We need them and they need us. It's like the analogy of an army, a military. You can't have all generals and have no grunts. Generals aren't going to go into the foxholes. The grunts do the fighting. The generals do the leading from experience. You can't have an army full of grunts and no generals because it'll be mass chaos, right? This battle will go one way or another and be done in five minutes. Same as in church life. We need to be intergenerational. It's where um, an intergenerational church is one where all generations are valued and are being continually woven into the body and life of the local church. <coughs> the generations are not intertwined in a multi-generational church. And part of that, they're, they're just a part of the same body, but they're not intertwined. They're not woven together. And we know the Bible talks about a, uh, a strand of three. You know, you're praying, it's, it's woven together. You ever see how that's done? If, you, if I just took strings and just glued them together end to end and said, well, I got three strings here. There's no strength in that, right? That tungsten strength is, I braid it. Now, all of a sudden, it's become stronger than one string. It's not rocket science. Um, what happens in a multi-generational church is they're just meeting together in the same building for the same common functions like a Sunday morning service, a midweek service, or whatever. This is part of why what is one of the greatest underused discipleship tools the church has today in the Assemblies of God. And you're going to see it come to life in Ohio, but around the world at even a greater clip and pace. Because we have uh, young men and young ladies programs worldwide. We have them in Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts. We see them. But I'll tell you something. I've, I've seen discouraging news this week in our Girl Scouts of America awarding a girl the highest medal that she could get because her article of teaching was on abortion. Well, see, I have friends that were Eagle Scouts. We used to butt heads. I was a gold medalist in Royal Rangers. And we would talk and compare. And one day I said, you know what? Let's just lay it out and let's see. What did you do? And we'll look and see what was involved. And there was a lot of similarities. But where it went another year or two or three beyond what the Eagle Scouts did was the part that only God could give me that they didn't get. And that separated the difference. Now, I had buddies that were Christians that went to Boy Scouts and they did that. And I always said, that's okay. When you graduate from there, you can come to Royal Rangers and get your gold medal. But seriously, our young men and young women's ministries in our churches today, Royal Rangers and Girls Ministries, are a viable tool that's not being used properly. This intergenerational model that when a man stands so tall, when he kneels to pray with a boy, is the model of it all right there. It can be exemplified in our children's ministries, our youth ministries, our young adult ministries. When we're interwoven, we're at our greatest strength. So, I don't want to start preaching. Characteristics of an intergenerational church look like this. Because you're saying, okay, you're saying these things, but what do they look like, Pastor Eric? So, an intergenerational church values every generation. 
It weaves them together with each other in relevant ways. An intergenerational church is focused on the spiritual formation, the process of every generation. And they have a plan that leads them to one word, and that's maturity. Now, we call young men and young women out of their childish ways into adulthood, out of darkness into light. And we recognize them as an adult. You just don't become an adult overnight, right? All of a sudden, I'm an adult, I'm mature. Uh, it's a, it takes a village to raise a child. And so as a church, we're raising them, we're bringing them along in maturity and watching them grow. And, and, and we're giving them an apprenticeship so they can become a craftsman to eventually become a master craftsman. And that goal of a master craftsman is to then turn around and make more craftsmen. Right? It's not rocket science. Jesus kept it simple because he knew he was dealing with sheep. <laughs> and we heard this morning that sheep bite, right? Sometimes they need wrapped on the back of the head. That's what the staff was for. I've been around a 16-year-old that's more mature than a 60-year-old. Follow what I'm saying? So there's no indicator that, you know, present your name badge here. Okay. It's a process. It's not an overnight. Well, I did this. I did this ceremony or whatever. I should be this. Um, an intergenerational church is one that has clear pathways for every generation. It has a spiritual plan, an action plan, and then a result plan. It's the identity, the, uh, the blessing, and the acceptance, or the formation, and the discipleship, and the participation. You see, eventually what we want to see happen is from reproduction to apprenticeship to leadership. In our church, we call it uh, leaders making leaders. It's the law of multiplication. If you are a true leader, you should be making leaders. It's the concept of working yourself out of a position. But if we wait until a young man or a young woman is 18 years of age and we say, oh, now you're an adult, get out of youth group, sit in church and act like an adult. But we won't treat you like an adult until 18 or 21. See, this is where we, we, we set them up for failure. What we like to do is create people to be successful. And the best way to be a leader is to give them the opportunity and the tools to be successful. Now, uh, there were things in my young life that my dad would let me do on my own. So I would learn them the hard way. And some of them that were dangerous, he would do for me, but walk me through the process. And those, some of those processes are things I couldn't fathom or gather or understand the value until 20, 30, 40 years later. Now I see some of the value as I'm teaching my own kids. They all of a sudden become clearer. And I can rewrite those chapters and make them even better. That's the law of leadership. To be able to set the bar and the standard higher than you had to jump. So they got to go higher and see it goes on and on and on. We create an atmosphere of excellence in our churches and in our communities. We don't have people walking around in our communities and in our streets self-identifying as a horse. They're, not, they're, they're confused mentally, this generation, because spiritually they don't know whose they are. Because somewhere along the line, as a church in general, we have failed to put value on people and not judge them. That's Jesus' job. 
I like the quote that I saw this past week, a meme of uh, the actor Will Smith, when he said, never look down on somebody, only God sits that high. That's a good thing to remember. Think like Jesus thought. Meet people where they're at. Families and churches must take the lead in defining, in affirming, and in recognizing and affirming godly manhood and womanhood. Uh, there, has to, uh, there, there must be a defining moment an aha moment that takes place in adulthood in the churches of America. No longer can we accept, okay, you're, this is your K through fifth, you're in that room. You're six through 12, you're in that room. You're a young adult, you're in that room. Okay, now you're out of there, you're in the sanctuary here. Sit up, pay attention, take notes, pay your tithe. Right? We put no value on them until all of a sudden they're graduated from college or something. They have to offer. Now we want your attention. And we can catch them at their youngest age. Adolf Hitler once said, give me your youth and I will rule the world. Evil even recognizes the value of our young people. As a church, if we recognize from day one, no matter what your age, race, nationality, or creed, you are all important in the sight of God. Jesus loves the little children, red, brown, yellow, black, and white, right? Okay. Let's not just say it, let's live it. Let's do it. Let's be it. I think a lot of the issues that we rely on through our government in some of our cities in our state right now that we um, are, are crippling us is because the church needs to step up and do what the church was called to do. We wouldn't need that reliance. We could give them the spirit and power of God and say grace and peace be with you as we send them out. Then they go out and they multiply. Now, um, the rites of passage should become an, an integral part of <clears throat> the annual life cycle of any church. Uh, each church should personalize the same way and make the other uh, ceremonies of that important. And um, what I'm trying to do, again, is take two and a half hours of this. And I'll be happy if you want to get my email or whatever and we want to communicate because you may have a lot of questions after this. What do we go from here? What do we do with this? My prayer is that it inspires you enough to go after this, dig in at research and say, we will be having a rite of passage at our church. We've done several of those in different churches that we've been in and been a part of. And it is, a, um, it is an, uh, a, an earthquake moment that takes place in your church. It shakes it. It puts value on your young people, puts value on those that are older, and it shows the worth and value of everybody together. There's an accountability that takes place. You see, the result that happens is there's an acceptance. The, the blessing that we give, the rite of passage, it actually um, activates a person's sense of acceptance. <clears throat> some of this I'm going to share with you in a moment, some of the applications on what we do. And I, I want to move along a little bit in this because I want to get into that. Um, a couple weeks ago, we had the crucible for our Royal Rangers um, down at the uh, Heartland at our lodge. <clears throat> and we kind of decided to format a teeny bit different. And there were some practical trainings and things of that that were going on. But we wanted to raise it into the concept of the rite of passage. Raising men of honor. And we talked about being, you know, um, alert, obedient, and courageous. Uh, ready, willing, and able to take these steps and these actions. And we, would, we spoke to our young men that were there. And a lot of them had fathers that were there. Those that didn't have fathers had spiritual fathers, their commanders, whoever were there. And we had a good number of young men that were there. We had a good number of fathers that were there. In the next several moments, what I'm sharing with you is what we shared with the dads the night before. 
The simple thing we have to understand is this, guys, ladies. We can't give what we don't have. Never trust somebody who tells you how to do things that's never done anything, right? If we don't have the Father's blessing, we can't give the Father's blessing. We need the Father's blessing. You may say, Pastor, my father is gone. He passed away. But you have a spiritual mentor. You have a pastor. Somebody in your life that can take that role. You see the importance of being intergenerational here? I've watched this ceremony take place where I've seen grandfathers blessing their, their sons and their sons turning around and blessing their sons, watching three and four generations in one evening bless each other. I've watched men that were godly men and role models in the church, never had a son. Bless a young man in the church that never had a father. Intergenerational. See how it happens? We can't believe the lie of the enemy anymore that says, oh, you can't do that, you can't do that. You can't put an affirming touch on somebody. You can't speak, you can't be. That's the enemy lying because he knows the strength when there's unity, okay? So, uh, some biblical understandings real quick. Uh, according to the world, age and action determine adulthood. Uh, movies are coded by um, certain ratings based on your age, right? Based on your age. Some of these G-rated movies I take my kids to, I don't think I should be in. Right? Uh, that's just a personal conviction. Uh, youth today, listen to this quote, and then I'm going to tell you how old it is. All right? Youth today love luxury. They have, they have bad manners, contempt for authority, no respect for older people, uh, they, uh, and talk nonsense when they should work. Young people do not stand up to any uh, longer when adults enter the room. They contradict their parents. They talk too much in company. They guzzle their food. They lay their legs on the table and tyrannize their elders. You know who said that? Socrates in 500 B.C., Socrates said that in 500 BC. You see, um, Hestes, the Greek poet around 800 BC said, I see no hope for the future of our young people if they are dependent upon the frivolous youth of today. For certainly all youth are reckless beyond words. When I was a boy, we were taught to be discreet and respectful of elders, but the present youth are exceedingly wild and impatient of restraint. What we're experiencing today isn't anything brand new under the sun. This has been happening for decades, for millennia, right? Now, there's a reason behind that. Because spiritually, we are missing discernment and direction, a purpose that God has in our lives. There's key points. Satan has three Ds. It's called D cubed or D3 that he has. He likes to distort, distort deceive, and destroy. Anything that God has intended for us is good. Yes. Satan doesn't want that. So he will deceive and destroy us because he wants us to fail. We know the Bible says that Satan came to kill, steal, and destroy. But God came that we might have life. Average. When? How? Abundantly. See, Satan cannot and has no creative powers. His plan, since he first whispered the lies in the Garden of Eden, was to distort the truth, to deceive Adam and Eve, and then destroy them. Because he knows what God has for all of us. 
There's a psychology term that was coined in the early 1900s to mean a period between puberty and adulthood, and it's marked by confusion and rebellion, and it's called adolescence. I'll tell you something personally, we should never use that word. The Bible says we, are to, we have the power of life and death in our tongue. We speak life. When we use words like adolescence, and we, and we naively use it because we don't know, we're speaking confusion and rebellion over our young people. Oh, you're just an adolescent. What you've just said to them is you're confused and rebellious. Instead of speaking life and saying you are blessed, you are highly favored, you're salt, you're light. What we just heard this morning, I don't even need to be here. Right? We need to learn to take that and show our young people you have value now. How many times in your life as a young person, an older person recognized you doing something, gave you a pat on the head, a smack on the back or whatever, and said, I saw what you did. Good job. What did that do for you when somebody said that? That puts a fire in you, and you want to do more, right? Oh, well, they, they like that. They ain't seen nothing yet. Watch what I can do. We want to be a blessing to others. You know, you think about what Satan does. It's like going into those carnivals on the roadside circuses that have those funky carnival mirrors. You stand in front of them, and you look like you're two foot tall, and you got all these chubby little ripples in you. And then you stand in front of a regular mirror and realize that wasn't a distorted mirror. <laughs> English is the only language that has the term adolescence. When in the counseling, in um, medical fields, when other languages, when they translate the word adolescence, they use adolescent. They don't have a term or a word for that. They don't use it. But I want to tell you something. God has a plan for each and every one of us, no matter your age. God defines the beginning of adulthood when we, He changes our bodies and gives us the capability to recreate life. You don't become an adult when you're 18. You don't become an adult when you're 21. You don't become an adult when you're 25. The world puts these values of what adulthood is. Oh, you're 18, you can vote. You can go serve, fight, and die for your country. You're 21, you can drink. You can go to R-rated movies. You're an adult now. We now we will treat you like an adult. I have an adult in my house. I'll see this post on Facebook when they're a young person turns 18 or 21. Now we have an adult. You know God's plan for adulthood? When you go back to the Hebrew days and the days of the, uh, the Jewish custom days. You're an adult the day you can reproduce. You weren't given an option. You're old enough to replicate the human life to reproduce you're an adult you are expected then at that point which was usually what 12 13 years of age for the young men and young ladies you were expected then to become an apprentice you were picking up a trade you were working for your wife future wife's family you were working to show your worth and you were working for your family and you were working for your community your town you weren't out being a rebel, burning down the city, laying down rubber up and down the street. You were learning a trade so that you could take care of your family. You see, that value was put on you. Not when you get this age and become an adult, we will treat you like that and start to train you. It was already at that age. This is, pay attention, son. This is what you're going to do. 
And you were given worth. You were given ownership. We have operated outside of God's plan and the result, what we're seeing and experiencing now, is devastating. Based from Hebrews chapter 5 um, is, this, is this verse, spiritual maturity is the ability to discern good and evil, the courage to act on the good, and taking responsibility for your actions. I know this, that I have a 10-year-old son in my house. He's the last one, the baby. And at 10 years old, he's mature enough to understand this. He takes responsibility for his actions. Micah, where's your lunch bag? I don't see it. Where'd you leave it? Now, we'll get the excuses. Oh, I put it right there. Somebody must have taken it. Somebody must have come out and snatched my pants or whatever. But there's an accountability factor. We don't wait and say, when you get older, you can't do this. I hold them accountable now. Yeah, I'm mean like that, but I came from that school. Teach them now. Train up a child in the way they should go, in the ways of the Lord, so that they will not depart from that, right? Oh, they may act like, I don't like this. I hate it. Oh, this is miserable. I can't stand going to church. And you're forcing me to do this, but I promise you, like we found out ourselves, when they're 18, 19 years old and they go off to university or they go off to a trade school or they go off to the armed forces or wherever God leads them, you'll get that call and say, thank you. We got it within two weeks. Our son went to Bowling Green, get a phone call and say, now I understand a little more what you and mom were trying to do. I did the same thing with my mom and dad. I understand why you rode me a little tighter because you didn't want me to go off the beaten path. You wanted me to stay focused. We have so many misguided youth today that don't have that because they don't have that opportunity. One out of two of our young people in our churches today come from a separated home. One out of two. Look around the room right now. One out of every one of you would have been statistically come out of a broken home or you have someone in your church like that. That's the world we live in. Now, we can, we can just say, well, pastor, we're never going to be able to change that, and that's just the way it's going to be. Or we can, can say, today we break that curse. But it'll never start until you pick the day to break the curse, right? It'll always be going on until you finally say, this day, me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And we'll become intergenerational. It takes a village to raise a child. Now, God defines the beginning of adulthood when he changes our bodies. Parents don't get to decide when and how this happens and don't confuse adulthood with maturity. Again, I've met many immature adults. And I've met some teenagers that you look at and think, there's no hope for you. <laughs> right? We've all been there. We might have been one of those kids. And then you come across some young people and think, man, we need more of them, right? The result of not leading young people into godly adulthood is that we have put adulthood for our kids like a carrot on a string and said, you have to do this, 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 and this and become of this age. And when you're that, maybe you'll just be good enough to be an adult. Look at the immaturity in our own country and what we call elected leaders. We put them there. I'm not getting into politics, trust me. You don't want that, all right? But we look at this and we say, how could this have happened? Because we never call each other out. 
given each other that identity to say you're worth something, you're important. And where there's, um, there's a void left because there's a God shape that's supposed to fit there in each and every one of us. And when God's not fitting that hole, everything else will try to. And that's what's happening today. And we're experiencing this in our communities. We see it in our schools. We see it in our workforces. We see it on our college campuses. We see it across our states and in our nation's capital. We see this. Because somewhere along the line, we weren't intergenerational. You remember you hear the stories about back in the day when grandpa would take you out and show you how to run the farm? Or mom would spend some time with the girls in the kitchen and show them how to bake a pie and do these different things. Now, I'm not going to get into this. I know yesterday was International Women's Day. And we thank women because if it wasn't for women, none of us guys would be here. All right? Period. It's a true story. But what I want to say is this, is God has a plan. He always has. There's God, there's Jesus, there's Holy Spirit, there's man, there's woman, there's child. And it takes all of us to raise that child up. Not that one's over the other. Man's not over woman, the Lord over her. We know that God put Adam to sleep, took the rib from his side, that she wouldn't be under his feet or over his head, but his helpmate. So don't go out here and think, man, Pastor Eric, he's, he's off a little bit there. No, not what I'm saying. My wife will remind me. But what I want to say is this. We don't owe apologies for what the Word of God teaches us. We've become so apologetic that we go on these speaking tours and tell people, well, if you don't want to do this, that was then. That was 2,000 years ago. All of a sudden, we're telling God, we got a better plan, a better idea. We'll tell kids it's okay to act immature. It's just a phase you're going through. We won't hold you accountable. We won't hold anybody accountable. Whatever you want to do, do it. It's part of life growing up. Someday you'll grow out of it. That's why we're where we're at. We need to hold each other accountable and speak truth and speak love and speak life. 70 to 90% of our youth leave the church before or upon graduation from high school and never come back. And if they're going to come back, George Barnett and his statistics show us that it will roughly be around the age of 40 when they are raising their young people and they don't want them to make the same mistakes they made. And that's what they'll say. But if we don't have them by the age of 18 spoken into, trained up in the fear and admonition of the Lord, we're going to lose them. And if they come back, we've got to wait 20 years or so until they're 40 to come back hurt, bitter, damaged, and say, I don't need this church, but my young people do. Right? Write a passage. Often when a young person graduates from high school, they also feel as though they graduate from the church as well. Um, I know as a youth pastor growing, uh, the last, uh, before we came to Hubbard uh, in the lead pastor ministry, we've been there four years now. Um, before that, my wife and I served in youth and children's ministries for 20 plus years. And uh, it doesn't matter who the, who the kid is. It could be the pastor's kid. The devil doesn't care who they are. He wants them all. He wants them all. 
And we, we've, we've dealt with this uh, inferiority complex disorder that these students would have about themselves. Uh, I have no hope, I have no purpose. Why even try to dream? There's nothing there for me. Uh, everything's already over my head. I can't afford to go to college or do it. There's no dream and vision anymore. And the Bible says where there's no vision, the people will perish. Well, shocker, here's why some of our churches today are failing to do what God has called them to do. There's no vision. There's no hope. There's no passion. There's no dream. You want to see vision and passion and fire happen? Invest in the life of a young person and tell them, I believe in you. You will have somebody maybe over extended in excitement to where you have to say, okay, take a breath, get a drink of water, take a time out and sit down and relax for a minute. But they will be there to give everything they have because you just put worth and value in their lives. Now they're going to go out and do the same thing when they raise their family. You see what happens? We can change the curse right now in this room by what we do when we go back and what we speak. You know, um, the rite of passage, you remember what your rite of passage might have been when you were growing up. It could have been getting your driver's license. Good job, son. You got your driver's license. Now you're a man. Or for some of you, your dad might have taken you out to the bar when you were 18 and got you your first drink of beer. But we see the way the world treats this. What about your wedding day, your high school graduation? But do we remember the day our mom or dad spoke prophetically over us and called us out of our childish ways into adulthood and out of darkness into light? We don't have that as a church anymore. To look back and speak those words. Uh, some of the rites of passage we see today, in, in, um, we see the bar mitzvahs. We see the gangs. Where a young person will take a literal, physical beat down to the point of near death to show their allegiance to a gang. They're hungry. They're hurting. They're crying for someone to say, we recognize you and accept you. Walk with us for a while. What about in the Native Americans? You know, in the, uh, the Sioux Indian, uh, they would take their young man out. The dad would take him out and they would blindfold him and they would walk him out for a, a good distance, good amount of time as the sun was setting. And they would take him to a place in, in the wilderness and they would set him there on a rock and they'd have, leave the blindfold on him. And they would say, you cannot take the blindfold off until sunrise. And they would sit there all through the night hearing sounds. It's experiencing the, the, the stress of nature, let alone at night, but blindfolded, not knowing anything going on around you. But that entire time that, that that young man was there sitting through the night, the elders of the tribe and the father were not too much further away in the woods sitting, keeping watch over him, that nothing would harm him. There's a learning experience there in that rite of passage that we need to give to our young people most of the current rites of passage practiced in our country here in the United States take place outside and apart from the church. The church is the least at, at allowing these rites of passage. So if they are practiced at all, they do nothing to connect the young person to the body of Christ, but they drive them further away. Oh, I don't have time for church today, pastor. I got to go do this or do that or do this or do that because we've never connected them to the church. We say, wait, 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 wait. Now you're 21 now. Oh, it's too late. They're gone. They're gone. Now, 
we have to reclaim the rites of passage and we have to reclaim them the way that God has intended. Uh, and that's what the seminar, that's what the rites of passage ceremony is a big step towards coming back with God's plan. This is what we did at the crucible um, a few weeks back at the campground. And what it is, as you hear me say, we call them out of darkness into light. One of the practical ways in a church that we do is we have these seminars. Uh, Chuck Stecker comes to them. He's trained several of us that we've gone and done them in our churches that we could go multiply and train people how to do this in their churches. It's not a cookie cutter program. It's intended for how you use it in your church, in your community, inner city, rural. You know what your church needs, how it will respond. But it's the entire church. We come in on a Friday night and we speak like I'm speaking to you now, to your church, to your leadership. You have to have the pastor's blessing behind it. It's a leadership issue. It's honor and it's order. And in that training, your youth pastor or your young adult leader, whoever they are, they'll meet with the young adults and they go over kind of some of the same stuff, calling them out of things a little bit. Are you ready? Are you willing? Are you able? Are you prepared to accept this mantle about to be bestowed upon you? Saturday we come, we do the same kind of a training. We, we talk about those, are you ready, willing, and able topics. We break it down a little bit more. Sunday morning is the actual sermon where it's just laid out, where it's, a, it's a usually a pretty intense um, come to Jesus moment. It shatters the church and the whole mindset that, my God, we've been doing this wrong for so many years. We need to come back to Jesus moment. And it's incredible when you see fathers blessing their sons or grandfathers blessing their 40 or 50-year-old sons and daughters it's an eye-opener but the greatest part of it all is that evening when we set that service aside and every adult in the church comes out and we celebrate our young people they make the prayer tunnel we did it at our crucible the the fathers stood down the aisles on both sides and it's just an affirming touch it's a stretching out of a hand and saying we speak blessing over you we pray for you the father and the mother, or just a father, or a spiritual father, whoever, but they will stand up there from the stage, and they will call out their young person. I would call out my son, Noah, deal, this is your father speaking. I'm calling you out of darkness into light, out of your, out of your childish ways into adulthood. And the shofar, we added a shofar because it's scriptural. The sound that was blown through the shofar was a sound that a warrior was in the camp for our ladies it was the sound of royalty a princess was here and that specific shofar blast would go and he'd come down the aisle and the church would scream and celebrate and stretch their hands as they walked through and spoke affirmation over them they come down before their father and mother and they knelt they presented themselves we put our hand on them a physical touch put our hand on their head and said i speak life and blessing over you i call you out of darkness into light I see the gift God has given you. I see the hope and the, and the dream in your eye for the future. Stand on his word. It's an affirmation that you're given. Now stand up. And we give him a hug. Mom would give him a hug. And then the elders, the board would take them and they go present themselves to the lead pastor, the senior pastor. And in front of our senior pastor, what we would have is we had two other board members that they had the Jewish prayer shawl. You know what I'm talking about? Very scriptural also. No magic hocus pocus in it. It was just being Jewish custom being biblical to the nth degree on this. We put ownership on it. So these young people realized this is serious stuff. 
They would kneel before the pastor and present themselves now as a young adult. And the pastor would put his hand on them and say, now go join your brotherhood or go join your sisterhood. They presented themselves as an adult. Now, we would stretch it out even further and go and we'd have uh, older folks in our church that I'm, I'm talking uh, 80 years old or whatever, but they were bulwarks. They were men and women of God. We were fortunate in our church in Florida. We had um, a pastor that was Welsh part of the Welsh revival. Boy, he could preach fire still. Great man of God. And he and his wife, uh, the young people respect and honored them. But the men would go to him, the ladies would go to her, and, and they would present themselves to Pastor Bob, and he, would, he had this, um, a knight's sword. And uh, he would dub them. And he would, for each and every one, according to the spirit, how they led him, he would speak a word into them. And every young man that went before him and kneeled down, I would watch from the stage would break because he would give them a word designed straight for them. Miss Gladys would do the same with the ladies. They would come and kneel and she had a scepter and she would call them into their womanhood and she would speak life and beauty into them. They would stand up. They will take their forms. They will sign their form to say, you know, I am now, uh, will walk in these ways of being ready, willing, and able. But they would find adults in the church that would sign that with them and say, we will stand with you in prayer now and forever accountability intergenerational so uh there's two areas of identity to clarify that real quick is the church and the individual the church is the bride of christ and the church is also a reflection of deeper issues families we know are the core of the church and when families hurt sometimes the church hurts but when we're intergenerational and we're working together, we see these things happening. The church should take the lead in defining and affirming adulthood for our young people, all generations. You see, in an intergenerational church, there's acceptance, which leads to participation, which leads to ministry, which leads to leadership. If we're not making leaders, we're making excuses. We have to make leaders. Well, what happens if they take my spot? It was never yours to begin with. That was God's. If you wait until you die, they're gone. And now that spot's empty. Always be looking in who you can multiply yourself into. We need to expect of our young adults as we integrate them in. You're not losing a child. You're, gain you're gaining an adult. You're gaining a future leader. And we have to help them become mature by being submitted to ourselves and, and to our home. And when they know that it's a, it's a submission that's out of love and not out of dictatorship, they're gleaning something from that. Um, we have to be careful as adults too, how we mentor. It's never fun to hear words saying, um, you're never going to get it. You're, you're, you're always... You find something else or you're a failure or this isn't going to work out right or speak life speak life the Wright brothers didn't take off in an F-16 on day one they crashed many a plane before we got to where we're at today know who and know whose you are knowing identity is understanding the sonship and we are all the sonship, S-O-N, the sons. 
And the key to walking in sonship is the blessing. The person is changed in such a way that they can never return. David Wilkerson even shares of a story when his daughter uh, came in and said, I, 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 want, I want to be blessed. And he said, why well, bless you? She goes, no, I want you to speak blessing. And she came and knelt at his feet at the table and he spoke blessing. He said, that changed me forever. I know that this rite of passage, it seems like, well, that's just a lot of Old Testament traditions, Pastor Eric, but it's biblical. And we miss it. There's no magic and pixie dust in it. But it's just affirming and telling our young people through action, through, through a voice, and through praise, and in front of people that we call you out. We place value on you. We did this ceremony. I'm going to start to wrap this up because if there's questions, I want to be able to take them. Uh, we, we did this ceremony and we took it an nth degree further. One of my um, assistant youth pastors we had in Florida, his name was Troy. He was an um, offensive line uh, football player for University of Central Florida um, by way of Nebraska. He was a big boy. And he, and he, he was my left hand when I needed him uh, for some of these young men that come into our group. And he could get in their face and we called it the Troy speech. And he would break them. But he was a big teddy bear too and he'd be weeping and crying with him at the altar the next day. We did the rite of passage. We went further with the rite of passage where we did, um, we called it Camp Character. And living in, in, in Southwest Florida, we had access to a major campsite down in the Everglades. And I'm talking so far back that you drive back on a rock road for an hour, then you get on a swamp buggy. If you've ever seen those, the wheels are as tall as this room. And you ride these swamp buggies back through the Everglades for another hour and you get to a camp that has electricity by way of like 12 car batteries stacked and it has wire wrapped around this little camp and all the um, places you can walk are just decks because you can't walk in the, in the Everglades. You'll get bit by something will kill you. So what's why, all, why is all the wire wrapped around the um, shed? Why are you doing that? Because that, that keeps the swamp bear out. I'm like, yeah, swamp bear. You know, I, I've chased many of uh, snipe hunts in my younger days and I've... <laughs> I wasn't falling for swamp bear. That was Pastor Ollie Dolliba's trick with all those young buck. Well, in the middle of the night, you hear the Yeah, they're there. There's a truth about that. We take these young men down and we would, these were young men that were um, usually come from a split home. They were knuckleheads, tough. Mom would say, here, do whatever you got to do. I signed a contract, signed a waiver. The night we get them on Friday night, they don't speak unless spoken to. And that was never an issue with Troy around. 6'4", 285, okay? But anyways, we began to break them down. We took everything that was ever spoken over them, given to them or whatever, and we built them back up straight from the ground to the top. That by the time they graduated out of that, uh, that week of camp that we would do down in the Everglades, they begin to realize, I am somebody. And they came to the realization at the very end of that camp, whether it was physical exertion, drinking Kickapoo juice. For some of you in FCF, you understand what I'm saying. Then, the spiritual moment around the campfire the last night, where we called them out. They would come and kneel. None of them had a father, but we spoke blessing over them. We had our first group that we did that came through. We had five of them, young men. Years later out of that, we get an email, uh, uh, a letter. And to this day that we still know, we have these young men. Four out of the five of them are serving God in different capacities or unique ways. 
Two of those young men that came out of that said, we'll never forget that week, that rite of passage and that thing. You know where they're at now? They're forward operators. They're Navy SEALs. And they said it was that night that we realized the worth and the value of whose and who we are because somebody believed in us. And now we believe in ourselves, we believe in our country, we believe in our God, and now they believe in their families. There is something to be said about speaking life over people and giving them value. So the blessings of the children and others is significant because it's a reflection of God's blessing for them. And the blessings of our children become a moment in which we agree with God about their future. Even Jesus got the blessing of the Father. When he was baptized by John, the heavens opened and there was a spoken word saying, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Man, I could go on and on and on here. But our young men and women today are dying and going to hell because nobody told them, I love you, I believe in you. They're wandering off in aimless directions, reproducing the only thing they know to reproduce because we never gave them life and purpose. You can tell I'm passionate about this. And if you want to shake your church up and you want to bring people together on a team and you want to see something transformationally happen in your church that will cause it to grow, Invest in your young men and women. Don't wait until they're 21. Now is the time. Call them out. You have anybody have any questions? I want to leave time for that. Has anybody ever heard of the rite of passage, raising men of honor, women of virtue before? There's, there's different aspects of it. There's different uh, services. We're actually looking at next year in the Ranger program of advancing that along to raising a modern day knight. See, the purpose and identity is to reproduce leaders. So when they graduate, they don't say, well, I'm done. No, it's just beginning. Where are you serving? Yes, ma'am. Yes. It's, uh, we call them all out. Uh, the young men and young women, we call them out together. Um, and it, the, the whole entire church is involved in that. Now, um, I'm at Covenant Life Fellowship in Hubbard. Okay, that's the church I'm at. My email is Pastor Eric at CovenantLifeHubbard.org. If you would like to email me or call the church and say, I was there at that seminar. I want to know more. What can you give me? I believe in this. I am passionate for this. And this is how we, we write the ship in the day and age that we need to as a church. It's a good opportunity, but I would suggest in that is bringing them in, reaching the community through a different event first, and then, because this is so intense with that. But even if you have one or two young people, it's a start. Uh, we've, we've done with five or six kids to 50 or 60 kids. Um, when you get that many kids, it, it gets a little tougher. It, it gets, it's a long time. Uh, be ready. Uh, but the... Um, 
churches that were just by the raise of hands in here, we got a lot of people in our churches that we need to start with that never received. That's where the pastor and his elders can step out with that. Him blessing them publicly and them right at the altar, turn around and say, okay, all you men, 50 and under, come forward and kneel before your spiritual father and set the example right there. It'll change the temperature of your sanctuary. Uh, yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It, 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 a lot of this was taken from the Hebrew custom uh, and then brought into the Jewish culture where the father spoke the blessing and received it. There's, so, there's power in that word. Um, it's not magic. Right. You still have to mature and earn it, but it gives them ownership to say, I am recognized. And the whole church pays attention to that and says, our young people are worth something. We put value in them. Our Wednesday nights when we came to our church in Hubbard, we... We had maybe 10 people in the adults. We had our boys and girls ministries going on, but we, uh, the board, when they interviewed us, said, how are we gonna grow the church? And I said, through our young people. We knew that after 20 some years of youth and children. But we invested in our rural rangers and our girls ministries programs. We invested in that one thing, boom, did it. Now our Wednesday nights will average 75 people. Why are they coming out to church? Because of our young men and young women's ministries. We get parents that that's the only night they come to church is on Wednesday night because they drop their young people off. Now I got them for a minute and say, come here, why don't you sit and listen to this? Now guess what they're listening to this last four weeks? We're teaching on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Giving ownership. It's not rocket science. Okay. 12. Where they're old enough to begin to understand and biblically called out as adults. Usually 12 to 13. Any other questions? I hope somebody's fired up in here today when you walk out of here to think, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to light that candle at our church and watch this thing go. Yes, ma'am. I have a question. Our church has just taken on a role where we're going to be going into an inner city. We got hold of this church in the inner city that wasn't being used. And it's in a neighborhood where there's a lot of single parent families. Mm-hmm. You can't give what you don't have. But you have spiritual moms and dads in there that haven't even met their spiritual kids yet in that community, but they're about to meet them. Bless them first, teach them, and then get into the city. You'll change that city's culture like that. These young men and women, especially inner city kids that look hard and play hard, they just want love. They just just want love. In 23 years of youth ministry, I never got knocked out by one of them. They may put you in a bear hug and break you. But they just want love. That's all they want, man. And we can change those inner cities in a heartbeat by somebody saying, I believe in you. There's doctors, lawyers, good leaders in our inner cities right now just waiting for a mom and dad to say, I got you. I love you guys for being here. I hope somebody feels this and says, "Mm." all right, feel free to give me a shout, email me, call the church, whatever you like to do. And I'd be happy to try to do my best to guide you guys into this most remarkable opportunity to watch your church explode.